Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be joined by the director of Marry Me, Kat Coiro. And I wanted to start by talking about the way that you bring us into Jennifer Lopez's character, Kat, because there's so many different ways that you play around with, with how we meet her in the film. We get to see how she's observed by the outside world, mm -hmm. as well as the intimacy of, of bringing us into her every day, you know, when she, who she, she is behind closed doors. And you do that in a myriad of ways in which you've directed and used camera motion, whether it's in her apartment, depending on the scene, if it's just her or a group of people, something like The Tonight Show, where there's the difference between the studio camera and everyone else who's inside, and even the use, yeah. of, use of mixed media. So I was really interested in how you thought about all the different facets and different ways that you could use the camera to tell those two very different sides of who the character is and bring us into the story. Well, one of the very first visual ideas that came to me was when I was actually having my interview process with my cinematographer, Florian Bauhaus, I was saying, I want social media to be integrated into this film in a way where it feels like an organic part of the story because she is somebody who lives her life in the public eye and very much leans on social media to connect to her fan base. And as we had our very first conversation, we talked about the concert and we talked about, you know, using our film cameras and shooting it traditionally, but also having cameras in the audience and having all these different people filming the same event and seeing it from all different perspectives. And I remember as we had this conversation, I thought, he's the one to shoot this. And, you know, that was something that we, you know, took with us into production was how can we, you know, be filming it like a like a traditional movie, like a very classic traditional movie, in fact, but also see all these different perspectives and see that wherever she is, she's being filmed. And so you're not just watching her as an audience member, you're also inside this world where she's being filmed. We added the character um, of Kofi, who's the predator, who's that videographer editor who follows her around. And that was, you know, that's something that Jennifer has in her life. And when they first sent me out to kind of observe her, I went to Vegas where she was doing her residency and I went into her suite, which was her dressing room. And it was like a, an intimate meeting between the two of us, but there were so many people around. There were assistants and there were wardrobe people and stylists. And then there was this guy banking content. and. I remember looking around and saying to our producer, Elaine, we have to capture this because this is something that I've never really seen. Um, and, it, and that feeling of, you know, loneliness in a crowd, of constantly having your life observed to the point where you don't even realize it's happening. And one of my favorite movie, movie moments is where Charlie says to her, like, can't we just be alone? And she says, we are alone. And he's like, but there's, a guy filming us and she's like oh right and it's become such an an important part of her life that it was really important for us to use the cameras to capture that and you mentioned the character of Kofi the the videographer that's following her and you were using some of his footage as well did you know even in pre-production that you wanted to have him actually shooting the whole time yes. so that you could bring us into that direct perspective yeah, it was interesting because we did our casting and we said anybody with um, any kind of cinematography skills um, would be much appreciated. And our, that actor had actually taken courses um, on videography. And then we also had him come and, and do a couple days of training so that, you know, he's in the scene, but he's also actually doing, you know, capturing and banking that content. Yeah. Um, when it was a really important moment, like um, after the marriage when she's, 
she's walking down the hallway and Charlie's there following her and we're capturing it, you know, both on our camera and on the Predator camera. That was one where we put it in the hands of a cameraman so we could really make sure we captured the emotion we needed, but a lot of times it was him filming. And then when we look over to Owen Wilson's character, Charlie, you know, again, you filmed him in a very different way. And even the mm -hmm. lenses that you were using were more kind of classic lenses. Mm -hmm. um, and so the cameras that you were using to shoot that were really different as well. Um, what was kind of the precipice behind wanting to make sure that you were using different equipment to have a different aesthetic? And then how did you set about once their characters start coming together more, finding what that style between these two spaces was going to be? Mm. You know, that's that's very observant <laughs> um, because it's absolutely something that that we talked about. You know, we often would stage Kat Valdez so she was in the center of the room, you know, with the camera moving around her because when you're in the orbit of a star like that, that's kind of how it feels is that the world, you know, centers around her. Whereas with Charlie, it was it was much more traditional camera coverage where he was just passing through. Um, another visual thing, and it's not to do with cameras, but we always tried to put her up, up high. She's on a stage. She's in an airplane. Um, she's, you know, her apartment is 40 stories up. When we have that scene after Madison Square Garden, it's a, it's a rooftop party. And when, you know, after the press conference, her car, it was scripted as an underground parking garage. We put it up on a rooftop. Um, and then Owen's character, he lives in a you know a ground floor apartment. His class is on the first floor of a real school in Brooklyn. And you know, you're playing with this idea of someone who is really grounded and down to earth and someone who is literally living in the twinkly lights and the stars and the clouds. And so it, it did it did become about evening that out and bringing her down but also bringing him up mm -hmm. and when it comes to the the music in the film you've mentioned that for you when you saw any moments in the script that had even a snippet of a song that you really wanted to bring us into that musical moment and have enough of the song for us to really live it and feel it and what's great about that is that you know when we look at the character of Bastian and Kat, they both express themselves and we learn so much about their inner worlds from the lyrics that they're writing and, and how they express themselves creatively as well. Um, and so, so how did you approach kind of putting together those scenes and making sure that you were giving enough of a, a viewpoint into those moments? Well, one of the coolest musical moments for me was one of the hardest scenes to get was where Charlie comes and essentially breaks up with Kat because he doesn't feel that he fits into this world. And, you know, there's a part of you that's like, you've had this great time together. Nothing really bad has happened. She's just a woman living her life and doing her job. Like, are you really going to be that threatened? And I never wanted him to feel like someone who was jealous or petty. And so crafting that was hard. And I remember Elaine, the producer, and I were talking about that scene. And we were like, gosh, it would be cool if Bastion was performing a song about second chances. And Elaine said that. And we wrote it into the script. You know, he does something about second chances. And those pages ended up going to Maluma, who went to his recording studio with his writing partner and wrote Segundo, which is a song about second chances. And we heard this song. And it was so powerful. Like if you're Charlie and here's this gorgeous, larger than life woman who's, you know, having this amazing artistic experience with her ex. And then he's sitting there singing his heart, about, heart out about second chances. 
the guy doesn't, you know, of course he's going to retreat and say, I can't do this, it's too much. And it doesn't become about resenting her or being petty. It's just he doesn't fit in. And so that's a song, you know, it plays out underneath that whole scene where he's breaking up with her and we timed the dialogue to be exactly the length of the song so that you know when they clap she gets pulled up again up to the stage and he's left behind um, and there were moments like that throughout no song is ever there just you know because it's a cool showpiece or because we need a musical interlude they're all there as as part of this story you know before Charlie and Kat get intimate and spend the night together. She comes to his school and opens her heart and plays a song that she wrote when she was 16 years old. And that's the moment where he really falls in love with her because of her generosity, um, you know, and not because she's so beautiful and, and so talented, but because she comes into this school and gives to his students. And that's the most important thing in his life. Um, and so it was, it was really fun kind of crafting those songs um, to go along with the emotional narrative. And even beyond the songs themselves, in working with John Debney, who was your composer on, on the film, um, and I know Jennifer was very involved with this side of things as well, you know, the music composition that comes in really enhances what we're hearing in the rest of the music and, and really evolves whatever the tone of a particular scene or narrative arc is. Um, and so I was interested in how you, John, and Jennifer really collaborated to make sure there's mm. such a constant flow between the different music that we're hearing throughout. Well, it's really funny because when you have a film that is based on pop songs, um, the initial instinct from all of us was to have a score that kind of fit into that pop aesthetic. And so we originally um, had had a composer who was more in that world. And as the film started to come together, um, it, didn't, it didn't feel right. It felt like we needed to go to something more classical that allowed the pop songs to live in their own world. And so John, you know, came on a little later. And one of the things that he did with Jennifer's input, with my input, was he took On My Way, the, the theme of On My Way, and he started threading it you know, from the beginning of the film, like literally from the moment she sees Charlie. And Jennifer and I had talked about when you create a song, when you write a song, and a lot of artists say this, whether they're sculptors or painters or dancers, that, you know, the, the song is there, it exists, and your job as an artist is to pluck it out of the ether and you know give it give it a voice but it's not like you create it it's more like you channel it and so we played around with that idea that that song on my way was directly connected to her interactions with charlie and every time they have a sweet moment in the press conference you know in in the apartment you hear a little snippet of that song so then when it comes out of her and she's tinkering around on the piano and it finally comes out you you go oh this is a song that's been there that kind of has lived there for eternity and is connected to charlie somehow yeah. um and so that was a really fun process and yeah john is amazing i love him and with you saying that that there about the way that that was interweaved you know for all of the charlie moments um was that also the intention between the way that marry me is like the fabric of the film in so many ways and even the, the fact that we hear it at the school dance but right before she kind of changes the trajectory and goes up and sings her song yeah you know it's like if on my way is charlie's song marry me is bastion's song and part of what makes charlie 
freak out and just go into himself and pull away is like, that's the song that she was gonna get married to. And now she's doing this super sultry, romantic version of it at Madison Square Garden for the whole world to see. He can't handle it. Um, and so, you know, I think with On My Way, we wanted to play with this idea that you don't know what direction she's gonna go, you know? But I, I like that subconsciously it was always Charlie. And with Marry Me at Madison Square Garden, that was actually filmed in the middle of one of Maluma's concerts. And obviously with that, you don't have the opportunity to go in and film multiple takes and come in and do different coverage. Um, And so what was the pre-production of just filming a scene like that for the movie, knowing that in the middle of the concert, you had one take to go in with your camera crew and get everything that you needed for that scene? Um, You know, so... The way we did it is we filmed the Marry Me performance in the empty Madison Square Garden while Maluma's crew was loading things in. And so we were able to shape that performance and, you know, do a few takes of the song. During the concert, we had Jennifer rise up completely unexpected to the audience. And we had our Steadicam on the stage and we had all our cameras in the audience. Um, And she came up and we captured the audience reacting and the screams that you hear in the movie are directly from that moment of people losing their minds that they'd gone to see Maluma and now they get both Jennifer and Maluma. Um, And then, you know, one thing we we came up with altogether was that they performed a different song that, you know, was a previously released song with a similar tempo and choreography so that we were able to get those big wide scopey shots and you know, integrate them into our Marry Me performance. Um, So that was a real kind of feat. Um, And it had a lot to do with preparation. I had long rehearsals with Jennifer and Maluma where we talked about emotionally how important this was. You know, the little moment where he goes and almost touches her face and having Charlie see that and be like, no! Um, You know, it was was all conversation. And then, of course, once they're out there, it, it, you know, you have to let them just do their thing. I remember my script supervisor was like, his button is unbuttoned. And I was like, yep. And there is nothing we can do about it. They are in front of 20,000 people. Um, and now, you know, all bets are off. But they're, you know, they're just so amazing that my job at that point is to step back and, and allow them to do their thing. And when it came to the the musical performance where it's supposed to be the marriage ceremony, what's great about that is that you had the chance to work with so many of Jennifer's crew, you know, with her yep. lighting crew, with the production team, you know, it was her, choreogra- her longtime choreographer yep. working on how you're going to tell that story on stage. Um, and so what are the ways in that that really enhanced how you're telling the story in that moment and also how you thought about how you wanted that scene to play out? Well, one of my pet peeves in films is you know when someone is supposed to be a great artist and then you see the art and you're like, huh. Or you know they're supposed to be this amazing recording artist and then you hear the song and it doesn't quite feel that way. And you know one of the things going into this is like, damn, these concerts have to feel so legit and authentic in order to sell who this woman is. And especially with someone who's as well known and as consumed as Jennifer is, like we can't go in and not have it be 
at her level. Um, and so bringing in her team was essential to the authenticity. And, you know, yeah, her choreographer, Tabitha Duomo, her stylist, Rob Zangardi, her, you know, the laser light people, that's a completely different skill set than our amazing gaffers. And, you know, and our cinematographer was like, we need to have the LED walls. We need to really sell this as a real concert. Otherwise, it's going to feel really anticlimactic. Um, so having those resources, you know, was just instrumental um, in selling the characters. And what was cool is was that like they were all so open to, you know, w where I approach it is like I'm not going to explain to you how to operate an LED wall for a concert. What I'm going to talk about is how this particular performance works into the emotional fabric of the film. And everyone was just so, it was such an egoless, kind of one-minded, you know, we all want to make this great movie that lives up to the production value of a J-Lo show. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was a real, a real joy in that way. And with that idea of the emotional fabric of the film, what I love about that scene is it doesn't feel like we're suddenly watching, you know, videography of a concert. It feels like we're still watching a story and we're watching these two characters and who they are in this moment. Um, and so how did you think about the framing of Jennifer in that moment? Because when she finds out that Bastian's been cheating on her, the camera's really close on her in a particular way where it feels incredibly claustrophobic. We're seeing her world, you know, compressing in on her, trying yes. to process and figure out what she's going to do. And then when we kind of re reach the moment where she sees Charlie in the crowd and she's starting to kind of make that connect and, and make that decision, the camera's really close on her, but it feels very different. It's a different type of intimacy and connection because you always bring the camera into character in, the, in that scene. Um, you know, look, my cinematographer, Florian Bauhaus, is a master. I adore him. And part of what I adore about him is that he is a technician and he's a brilliant He's a brilliant technician, but he's also a storyteller. And, you know, that concert, um, that whole concert of their wedding, all those performances we filmed uh, in two and a half days. You know, the breakdown, church, like Bastian's performance. And so we got very, very micro in our prep. And we had storyboards, and each shot was, you know, was planned in order to tell that story. And... I, I love working with Florian because he, he looks at it, you know, as, as an artist and as a fellow storyteller. Um, and it, it was interesting because while we wanted the production value of the concerts, we definitely never wanted to feel like we were using concert footage. We were inside that story. We were with those characters. Same when we were on Fallon. You know, there was, there was an argument because of our budget and because of time of like, let's just use the Fallon cameras and it can play that way. And we were like, absolutely not. And Florian was a huge part of like, we must be in with these characters. Otherwise, it won't have that emotional impact. And with the moment where she makes that decision to bring Charlie up on stage and marry her, um, what were the challenges in filming a scene like that? And how did you work with Jennifer and Owen on making sure that the beats land? Because it's such a crucial moment story-wise and the audience yeah. has to believe both characters. It has to believe that she was about to marry, you know, who she thought was the love of her life and that she's making this decision. And then we also have to believe that his character, who very much paints within the lines in every aspect of his life, is open to coming up and doing this thing in that moment. And so if if we hadn't fully been on side with either of them or believed either of them, that scene wouldn't have worked. But it fully reads for both of them. 
Yeah, look, I mean, that was always the scene where if we can make this scene work, the movie has a fighting chance. And Owen, I remember him saying, we've really got to make this work, otherwise it's ridiculous. <laughs> and it was, you know, everybody understood that. It was all hands on deck for that moment of like, how do we ground this in reality, but still have it feel escapist and fantastical and big and spectacular? And a lot of that came in the building blocks leading up to that moment. One of the huge changes that happened in the script very late was Charlie originally didn't have a daughter. And it was actually a meeting that Elaine and I went to with a studio head who said, eh, you know, there's something missing from that character. Uh, you know, maybe he should have a kid. And it was like a light bulb went off and it was like, you know, then he's not doing it for himself. He's not doing it because his friend dragged him. He's doing it because he's desperately trying to connect with his child. And that moment where she pulls him up, that's not about him feeling that he has to do it even though she's beautiful and he had a little spark with her. That's about, my kid will never forgive me if I don't do this. <laughs> and that was something Owen was always, it was so awesome. It was one of the huge things he brought. Like any choice that Charlie made, he would be like, but how is this going to affect Lou? And how is this going to affect her? And I don't know, like, are we going too far? Like, would he ever do this? Um, and so having that element on his side was really important. And then, you know, Jennifer really had a hand and, and Elaine in those words that she said when she's up there. Um, and one thing that Jennifer did that I thought was really cool and brave was when we filmed that monologue after she finds out Bastion has cheated on her she actually had an audience of background while she was doing that. And it, there was no reason for that. Technically, she could have been doing it to the empty house because our cameras were all on her. But I think having that audience made it so much more vulnerable and scary and gave a, a sense of, of what was really happening there, which is a public breakdown in front of your fans. Um, and so, yeah, that was... There were so many levels to it. Also, just having him really listen to her, you know, and that's what, that's another thing Owen said. He was like, what she's saying up there, like directly relates to me and, and what I've been going through in my life as Charlie. And so having them, you know, see each other and see someone who gets you um, was, was it, many, many little moments came together to make that moment work. <laughs> And with what you're saying there about the way that Charlie's choices always needed to feel very true to him and true to him as a dad, what's really refreshing in watching the film is that you're watching two characters come together and neither of them are compromising or changing who they are to be the, to be with the other person. <laughs> I, based on your reaction, I was going to ask you know if that was something that was really important to you, to Jennifer, to Owen, and, and to the rest of the team in making this film, that that was the messaging that always came across. And it's about two people just finding the space between them that works rather than either crossing over to the other side. I mean, you know, one of the things early on was like, oh, they're in their 50s. Like, should they be younger? And I'm like, no, what we're exploring here is mature love. And yeah, when you're in your 20s, you give up everything. You fall into a fugue state. You know, you do anything for this person. When you get older and you've established who you are and what's important to you, love has to be something that integrates into that life. And I mean, I... I would be so upset if I made a movie where a woman with all that power and, artist, and artistry and talent decided she was going to shelve it for a guy. And, on, and the same token on Owen's side. Like, he, you know, he might not be a rich, famous guy, but he's a guy who's very secure in himself. He, you know, one of these little tiny details in the film is 
that Charlie always packs his lunch and he packs his daughter's lunch. And when everyone's ordering food in the recording studio, he's got a little stainless steel tin. Like, and he's a man who lives a sustainable lifestyle and is very careful with his choices in life. And, and I love that. And I love that he doesn't change that just because now he's, you know, dating someone who rides on private jets. He has a, a integrity to him. Um, and, and to me, it's like, that is so romantic, <laughs> you know, much more than throwing it all away to, you know, to have this kind of crazy love. It's enduring love. And what's fun as well is you kind of get to play around with with some of the the things that we're used to seeing in romantic comedies. You know, it's usually the female character that has the best friend there that delivers great comedy. And here you've got, you know, it's Charlie who's got Sarah Silverman. So you're really able to lean into her comedy in a great way because with Kat, we're seeing her with her team around her instead. Yeah. And what were some of the things that you really enjoyed in getting to play around with the genre a little bit in that way? You know, on the one hand, I just fully embrace the genre and I'm not afraid. I think when romantic comedies go wrong is when people are afraid, you know, oh, we've seen that before. That's cliche. That's a trope. I'm going to reinvent the wheel. Like it is a beautiful genre that has, you know, recurring themes. And I don't care if we, you know, did a lot of those things again, running through the airport, holding up the sign, all that stuff. Um, and yeah and the the wacky best friend is 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 a trope it is something we've seen before but again we've never seen these characters in that way and and i did love the idea that you know cat lives in this world where everybody is on the payroll like and that is a reality when you get to a certain level where you know it's it's that loneliness in a crowd um and that was a huge part of of the theme um, you know, and having like John, I, I mean, I just love John Bradley in the film. And I remember when I first met with him, he said, I feel that this character is like a duck where like on the, on the surface of the water, they seem kind of calm and collected. And then under the water, their feet are going like this <laughs> and, you know, trying to like catch up and process it all. And, you know, it's interesting that the person who comes to hug her after she's had this public humiliation is someone who works for her and who is just trying to do the right thing and navigate his own career. And you see that she needs these close, this close relationship that she develops with Charlie. It's different from anything she's ever had before. I also wanted to ask about working with Caroline Duncan, who's your costume designer on the film, because I think especially when you look at Jennifer Lopez's outfits, they tell such a great narrative arc in the way that we see her. You know, we see her kind mm -hmm. of very presented to the world. And then as she spends more time with Charlie, you know, the shapes are softer, the materials yeah. are softer, her hair is different. You know, when it's her dancing with the kids, she's just in kind of like a comfortable boiler suit yeah. with her hair up. Um, and so what was that collaboration like in working with Caroline and really figuring out the narrative trajectory that you wanted to tell on screen. Caroline is amazing. And, you know, between Caroline and Jennifer and Rob Zangardi, it was like, you know, again, my job was to go, here's what's really important and do your thing, people. <laughs> and I think they did an incredible job. Like the softening is something we talked about a lot. Like when you see her in that first scene dancing, she's in metallic, hard lines, um, you know, the hair is very, very hard and symmetrical. And, and as the film goes on, she definitely softens and, and lets her guard down a little bit. And, you know, Caroline's a real artist. And 
Um, you know, one of the, I think one of the interesting challenges was separating J-Lo from Kat Valdez, because obviously there are so many places where the two characters overlap, but we also didn't want it to feel just like J-Lo. Um, and someone asked me earlier today, like, why does she wear so many turtlenecks? <laughs> and I was like, actually, because that's not something we're used to seeing J-Lo in. And it does give Kat, a, you know, a distinctive style. Yeah. I really love that. I also, one of, one of the random small details was where did the swing in Charlie's apartment come from? Oh, you know, that's a real location, a real apartment in Brooklyn. And wh one thing that was really important to me, you know, when I see a film and someone's a teacher, my mother was a teacher, and then they live in some palatial, you know, ridiculous, unaffordable apartment, um, it drives me crazy. And our production designer, Jane Muskie, and I, we had a conversation, and I was like, how do we make it aspirational, you know, rom-commy, but still, uh, he actually could afford it on a teacher's salary. And so we actually limited ourselves to scouting apartments belonging to working people. And we also had a whole backstory where, like, he had saved money he had you know really worked to get this place that was a really comfortable place but the apartment is a real apartment of some working people in um in brooklyn and they had that swing and i remember walking in and going we're gonna use that swing uh like we need to make sure that's there we also um made the apartment there's a lot of plants and we put some vines on the walls and you know there's a dog and there's a fish tank and it's a very alive place and charlie is a nurturer and you know compared to cat's apartment which is white and windows and glass and sterile like it was another little visual cue you know that they live these very different lives and that charlie spends a lot of time feeding fish and dogs and children and <laughs> watering plants you know which is exactly what cat kind of needs is that yeah. nurturing. I love all the intricacies of, of all of the details and the way that you've directed this film. So congratulations on a great movie and thank you so much, Kat. Thank you. That was so fun.